1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Masquerandi Media Podcast My name's Mike Appleton and it's good to have you on board once again This time around I've got an interview for you I spoke quite recently with Jack Overhill who's the training officer at the Red Rose Caving and Pothole Club based up in Casserton near Barbon Jack's an interesting chap because he's, uh, he's, he's young You know, and I'm a little bit older, so that was a good little conversation there. But we have a real wide-ranging conversation about kind of caving, adventure tourism, reputation of caving at the moment. And also he was involved in the cave rescue in Brecon Beacons quite recently as well. I've split this interview into two halves, so in the first half you'll get to hear all about that kind of caving and adventure tourism and that cave rescue. In the second half we go a little bit more into kind of what Jack's been up to, his passion for caving, his work with special needs, and also uh, various little things about risk and conservation and and things like that. It's a wide-ranging conversation and I hope uh, you'll you'll enjoy it. Uh, A couple of words of... I don't know, warning, possibly Firstly, this was recorded in the reading room At the Red Rose Caving a Club Farm Up at Bull Pot uh, Which was anything like library-like So firstly, you'll probably hear a, a small beeping sound All the way through the audio Unfortunately, it looked like something was wrong With one of the computers that we got in there And we couldn't fix it and secondly, uh, I was starting with a cold as well, which you can probably hear in my uh, my voice now. Oh, and there's a very very angry bee in there at, at some point as well, but I'm hoping it doesn't spoil the uh, the enjoyment of the show. So on we go, and uh, here's my chat with Jack. Jack, good to see you. Hello. We finally managed to tie this down. How long have we been looking to do this for?
0: The uh, best part of a year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we finally managed it. We're in the uh, the reading room at the Red Rose Caving and Pothole Club to give it its proper name. Yeah, the Bull Pot Farm. It's raining outside.
0: It is a classic Yorkshire weather. <laughs> the UK's best caving club. I've
1: had the worst trip up the track as well. It's a should know better. For. <laughs> <laughs> well, what brings you here? I Me, mean, you're clearly not a, a northerner.
0: No, no, I am. I am a southerner at heart. So. Uh, when I was, um, when I was about 12, uh, I was at school, um, I was, uh, I looked at this climbing one, I thought, ah, I'll give that a go, and, um, so I signed on for this after school club, started at four, finished at five or something, six, so I thought, you know, I'll give it a go, and, uh, quite liked it, so I did it for the best part of a quarter of a, quarter of a term, and, uh. I was getting on quite well, getting up most of the routes uh, that were that were there, and uh, safe to say they've not changed since I've since <laughs> since I've left. Uh, but um, one afternoon, my mum had to go. I remember she went to a doctor's appointment. Don't know why, but um, I thought, you know what, well, see if I can jump on the climbing and caving after-school club, and um, so I did. And uh, we went to a place called Split Rock Quarry, which is a ginormous um, limestone quarry. And uh, it's called Split Rock because either side, it's got about 40 or 50 metres of like sheer, it's like a massive like slot taken away in the countryside. And um, I went there, and they were doing the big amsa on the top. And when I was there, and I was young, and I was only about 12, and uh, it was massive. It felt like 90 metres. It was humongous. I got to the edge and was were like, no chance am I ever going to do that. <laughs> like, I just said no. And um, I backed off and I was like, hmm, I didn't like it. Uh, and then the following week, they said they were going to cave and I thought, wow, let's give this a go. It's a bit different. And I went and I just thought, wow, this world's amazing. You know, it's underground. It's so calm. It's not about who can do what or whatever. It's about teamwork and you know, getting everybody to do a little bit of everything. And, you know, everybody's there to support everyone. And I kinda like that. So I thought, oh, this is cool. So that was how I got started. That's how I got hooked to it. And uh since then I've just been Pushing it and trying to have as much fun as possible, <laughs> and trying to cause as much chaos as as possible in I think, way.
1: <laughs> I think most people get introduced to either you know it's got climbing wall, abseiling, yeah, or caving when when the kids, and they kind of have that one kind of burst of it, and then kind of get lost to the sport, and then might come back into it at uh, university. Do you kind of continue on kind of through your through your school years?
0: Yeah, um, so when I was um, when I got to about secondary school uh, my caving kind of died off a little bit because uh, I joined a sailing club uh, and I was part of a uh, sailing club when I was at school and we used to sail um, a team of fireflies and we used to go off to a couple of events each year uh, during the summer term uh, and then uh, at the end of that I went to college and when it's when I reached the age of 18 I was able to be an adult and and uh, you know, you're able to do whatever you want, and it's great. Uh, so I thought, right, I'll go and join a caving club, and I chose to join the Mendic Caving Group. And uh, I wasn't even 18 when I when I started. I was 17, but I was going to be passing through 18 quite soon. And they took me to a few caves, like GB, and uh, where else did we go? Went to quite a few caves. And then when I was past 18, I got I started going for my full membership. Um, but it it was quite difficult I remember to get my full membership so I'm not sure if I ever officially (laughs) got my full membership I think I I did about six months and decided that um, it's just too difficult and I wasn't going to bother whether or not they changed that now I don't know but uh, I ended up going to the Cerberus uh, Caving Club which is uh, kind of like East Mendip and uh, they have a very was a very different club um again they've got a, a club hut just like uh the uh, the MCG. Uh but they, they do a lot of digging there instead of kind of like trips. Yeah, club trips. Uh so it, it was yeah, it was very different uh in terms of w- what they do. Uh so I I used to do quite a lot of digging with them, uh during my during my uni kind of like holidays and then uh, during, during uni I was, I was up at Liverpool studying uh, a BSc in outdoor education and uh, I was doing all sorts of kind of like uh, SRT training for the club and things like that and the one thing that you learn about kind of cavers is that they've, got, they've always got a story to tell and it's great, you know you come, you come here, the Red Rose and you sit down on a Friday night or Saturday night and you hear the stories that are being told and um, you know some of these stories are so farcical and <laughs> kind of like why? but you know they're great stories you know we got some members like Dalek and Steve Grey and Starkers and you know all sorts of people and um, you know they they can tell you stories for days and days and days and you know it's it's just awesome to kind of see and you, you'll see the new members come in like the younger generation younger than myself I'm only 26 but you know the younger generation like the university cavers and kind of like the ones that are just coming in they'll they'll come in and tell their stories yeah. and everybody's got a different story to caving and that's what I kind of like uh, about caving everybody's got a different story and uh, it, it, unfortunately I think it is a dying sport caving and uh, I don't like the idea of that because the amount of people that I take caving, both commercially and through Red Rose or whoever, you know, I love caving. It's like the best thing ever. You know, Andy Sparrow, who is a a CIC based down in Mendip. Many people will know him, uh, who are caver uh, in the Mendits or, or or afar. And um, you know, he said he said to me once caving is kind of like the adventure tourism it will boom at one point but no idea when it's like digging you know you keep digging in a cave do you find this mystery chamber yeah. and when it's the same thing with that in the commercial world we'll keep dipping away and keep dipping until we eventually hit that breakthrough and then the media will be all over it and they'll be like oh caving is the new best thing to do in the outdoors at the moment it's hiking and climbing yeah um so you know we are waiting for that kind of like boom this is caving and this is commercial cave come and do it you know it would be awesome to kind of like it might spike a massive generation in caving uh, uh i really want to see that
1: i think you might, might get a bit of kickback
0: as well i mean you're talking about stories there and one of yeah. the
1: reasons i joined red rose was i used to walk past here with my dad and knew what was going on at the, the hut and i yeah. kind of wanted to be a part of that and, Interviewed people, who speak to people, and and yeah, I wanted to um, explore Lancaster Hall because of the way it was discovered. that's was kind of kind of my passion. You know what you're talking about there about kind of a booming commercial caving and uh, possible and and that it kind of straight in my head. Then I thought about you know the boom of commercialism on uh, Everest and how you kind of your old old isn't the right word, but you kind of your traditional mountaineers have kind of kicked yeah. back against that. Mm. Do you think that we're not saying it's going to happen? But do you do you think that the kind of the sport's ready for that? You know, knowing what you know now, and there is quite a lot of politics in clubs—not not the red Rose but there is kind of po- lots of yeah. politics. You know,
0: yeah, there is definitely a, a lot of politics within caving. Um, I think if there was going to be kind of like an economic boom in the sort of like adventure tourism and caving I think it would be a big wake up call to uh, to the industry because there's not actually that many uh, if you look at kind of like the, the mountain leaders and the rock climbing structures there's quite a large base of like yeah. people who are like, willing to take you out for a walk or a climb, you know, at a crag but when it comes to caving you could probably, I don't know c- uh, there might be only about 300 of them and only a 100 of those people have got a qualification to yep. take you into a, a multi-complex kind of cave system, you know. So there's only about 100 CICs that are kind of like on the books. Uh, so, you know, it's a very small world of who can take you in to see these some of these amazing places. Um, so, yeah.
1: Do you think Kevin's got a bad rep, Jack?
0: Uh, do you think caving's got a bad rep? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think any sports have got a bad rep, you know. You kind of, if you look at kind of like climbing, um, there was a new film that came out, The Alpinist. I don't know if you've seen it. Not yet, no. It's a, it's a good watch because it really does kind of show climbing in a very multi-complex kind of view. So it was kind of like climbing, soloing is great to to kind of see. And um what he was doing, um was was kind of like beyond like comprehension to most people. I went and saw it with a with a friend, uh, Joe Gittins. and um Joe's been ice climbing for years and years and years and I've followed up many, many of kind of ice climbing uh venues in in the lakes and uh he was kind of sitting next to me his, his arsehole was shaking quite a bit <laughs> because like the stuff he was doing was like uncomprehensional to him letting alone me I was just like wow some of these places are stunning they're great but like we're both thinking we want to be attached to a rope you know um, and then that comes down to like Clime's perspective of what is soloing and it's like soloing's cool I've done a bit not massive amount but I've done a you know a bit of soloing um, nothing particularly hard or, or, or gnarly but um, it, you do kind of look at it and you go is that stupid? is that is that going to give climbing a bad rep? And you kind of think well yeah maybe if it goes wrong it might give a bad rep unfortunately I don't want to give the plot away you'll have to go and see The Alpinist for yourself uh, to kind of see that rep but um, yeah it's it's quite an interesting view because it sees very multiple different angles. Um, you know, Alex Honnold, one of the probably the greatest soloist of all time. I'm sure you've seen the mm. free solo. It's an amazing film. Yep. The angles are great, but uh, you know, it does make you feel a little bit sick. I found because I was like, especially on that bouldering piece. Even he was like. You probably don't wanna watch it because like you're gonna be a little bit sick. There's probably. a bit
1: where he has to do a bit of a crafty kick Yeah. And then...
0: Yeah. And it's a hard move, you know. Yeah. It's um without having the conversion table in front of me. But I'm pretty sure it is way higher than E four, which is mental. Which is what I would say most people would consider quite hard grade in, in climbing, uh, to to lead, let alone solo at yeah. kind of like multiple thousand you know, feats of, of climbing it, it's, you know, uncomprehendable to most people uh, if, 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 if any <laughs> real people can comprehend that um, and then things sometimes happen uh, when people are pushing it and I think that, yeah the public's perception is, is very much pushed upon media's views and uh, what, they, what they feel you know, the person who's behind the desk writing the writing the report, it's all the public's views will mm-hmm. be based upon that journalist's view. Um, so if they say, oh, that was crazy and that was stupid, the public is probably going to go, oh, yeah, it's crazy and stupid. Yeah, that's right, yeah. um, But But is it crazy and stupid? You know, getting in your car and driving from where you live, near Liverpool, and coming up to work, it's probably... If you think about it, the risks yeah. are far more dangerous. You go on a motorway where you're travelling at 70 miles an hour, You know what are the risks that can happen there? So I guess it comes down to um, with when you're pushing it in, in these areas is how far are you willing to push the risks? Is it, is it worth it? I went caving today and I was, um, was going up this place I'd never been before uh, in Knots 2, uh, which is quite a nice trip. Uh, and I got to a point where I was like there's a bit of rope there never seen it before give it a good tug it didn't snap so I thought eh I'll give it a go it was only attached to a quite a, it was attached to a quite a large boulder um, but I didn't know the history of the rope and I was quite happy to push it but I wasn't with anybody so I was terribly reliant on my judgement and like my skill level and my knowledge of testing that rope which I just gave it a pretty good kind of like, bang bang, to see if it held, and it did hold. And I was like, oh, let's see if this goes. You know, you 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 make these calls and you live by them, and if they go wrong, then the public will unfortunately will have their view on it. And usually, it's the journalists behind the screen writing those articles that influence the people's uh, views and opinions.
1: Well, we've just seen that with the um, with the chap in um, in Brecon Beacons, which we'll come on to in, in a minute, because I know that you volunteer for for cave rescue. But obviously, you know, he got quite deep into OFD, didn't he? And um, you know, sustained a well, it was described as a hand injury or whatever injury it was, and obviously couldn't make his way out. And next thing you know, the media of you know, it's the excitement of the rescue and will he get out? And what I mean, he was going to yeah. get out, you know, and you know, three hundred rescuers headed down and things like that. And then afterwards, it's let's give cavers a kick in you know, it's like we've had your little kind of, you know, excitement of uh, of getting the poor chap out, and then it's right. You know, it's yeah, even dangerous. Should they be doing this? And mm. it just seems the
0: way society is at the moment. I've
1: just mentioned there that you went volunteer for cave rescue, and you went down to uh, to Brecon. What was your kind of role in that rescue? Uh,
0: so, it was a very long, long role um, for for the amount of time that I spent in the cave. But I'm glad I went down because there was a lot of people there who were had been there for quite a long time and i could see people coming out and they were pretty tired so i do feel that the journey that i took to get down there was was really worth it because some people were totally bollocks when they came out and you could see it you know they were tired you know they had done maybe two or three shifts underground um so i got up at about um it was 10 to 10 to 3 when i got out of bed uh in the morning on monday and uh I drove to Steve's house, and I, I drove him to Clapham, where we were, where we were planning on on getting into Crow three and getting a lift down all the way down to Wales. Uh, but we decided that we'd uh, we'd just drive ourselves down, and uh, we got we got to, um, to the South Wales Cave about I think it was about nine o'clock, um, off the top of my head, uh, which gave us about about an hour just to kind of like chill out and let our brain kind of completely uh, desensitise from the driving because, you know, driving takes a massive toll on what you're doing and, you know, it's quite tiring driving for (laughs) for a long period of time Um, so we had about an hour kind of like just chilling and just chatting and resting and then, pardon me, we had a kind of like a uh, a briefing at about 11 o'clock with uh, the duty controller above ground or incident commander and uh, this went on for about it was a good 20 minutes he was telling us about the in-depth picture of what's happening underground and how it happened in the first place because uh, with a lot of these rescues there's quite with with these big rescues there's quite a lot that you know you need to know about before you you uh before you go down, and but also, you know, there's no point getting to a rescue and going. Well, what's happened? You know, you know. So you kind of need to have a bit of a background, uh, a brief into what's going on. So uh, we had that, and then we got kitted up, and then we had a further brief before we went down, because every minute things were changing, because we were try- they were trying to keep it as dynamic as possible to make sure people were doing the job that they needed to do. Um, but that also depended on, you know, how fast was that stretcher coming out. You know. So was the stretcher coming out the speed that they predicted it was? Or was it coming out faster or was it coming out slower? If it's coming out faster, is it best to send us in to do a kit collection? Um, because they had so much kit in the cave. You know, their their kit store was empty when I got there. It was just empty. I've never seen a kit store empty at, <laughs> at a cave rescue uh incident. It was like, Wow, it's just an empty box, <laughs> um, you know. So there was a lot of kit inside the cave. And I still think they're trying to get it out now. And it's good two weeks on, so um, you know they, they've been working hard down there. Um, so anyway, we, we started heading up and we went underground, and we got just below what's known as the corkscrew, and he was doing all right. You know, he was on time. You know, we we met him exactly where where we should have. So uh you know we started making progress um with with the 12 o'clock team that went in and you do about i think it was meant to be about six hours of 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 kind of like graf to help help him get out but um we we ended up doing about eight hours and we got him out to the surface at the end, so I kind of like the finish shift if you like because um, there was no point pulling us out fresh at six o'clock it's six hours we could easily do another two you know so they just kept us in there and we knew we weren't that far out and he knew he wasn't that far out as well to the point that you know he said to me can we just get out now <laughs> i was chatting to him we were talking about um you know what kind of um, caves he wanted to do next and he was telling me where he lived and i was talking about the caves where he lived like near pen park hole in bristol and it was, you know, we were having quite a good chat about what was going on and I was making some slight, slight jokes to him just to like keep him happy and uh, I, quite, I quite enjoyed chatting to him he was a good lad, you know, he was, he was awesome and, you know, it comes down to, like cavers are generally really sound human beings and, uh, and when somebody hurts themselves of course you want to go and help mm. them it doesn't matter about the driving or how long you're going to spend down there You know, it's the fact that it's a very small community and we want to just help each other. You know, we want to push it, but we also want to help each other. Um, And I don't think anybody in the caving community wouldn't have been there if they couldn't, if if you get my drift. Yeah, there's no
1: judgment as well, Jack, is there? I find that with cavers, and especially speaking to yourself and other people in cave rescue, you never make a judgment on you might do in the hut afterwards like what's that so you get yeah. gone and done that for but you, there's no judgement it's kind of you know chaps or chapesses in need and we you know, mm. need to get them out And
0: yeah I mean you just kind of drop what you do and just go yeah. um, and that's that's basically what I did can't remember what I was going to do Monday I think I might have just gone caving I think yeah. I had a friend up and uh, he was staying in Lancaster so and I, we had probably ended up going caving Um so, either way, I was going to go caving anyway. So, um, you know, it, it didn't matter to me. And uh, I, w- I was just happy to be caving, to be honest. And, <laughs> and just just being there, it, you know. I like caving for myself uh, and doing stuff. But sometimes it's nice to cave as part of a bigger team, um, on, a, on a big team. And it's just a shame that sometimes on these bigger team jobs, unfortunately something happens. So yeah. you're, you're there for a reason. You know, I wasn't part of the three counties system, uh, day, but I would have loved to be part of that, you know, being part of a big team, making sure everything runs smoothly is, is pretty cool. Mm. Um, uh, unfortunately I was at work. Um, I think I was running a caving day actually. <laughs> um, so I was underground again, but, um, you know, it's you know being part of a big team in a caving and it, lots of people doing their their roles it's pretty cool to be a part of a big team and getting jo- getting a job done, uh, and especially when there's quite a lot of graft in it as well. You know, on a three county system, I can't imagine how many diving bottles were, you know, going down mm. to the various sumps to meet to meet the divers and getting them through. You know, there's going to be a lot of graft. There was a lot of volunteers. I'm well aware of that and. There was certainly a fair amount of media coverage, but nowhere near as uh, the Breck. Uh, it's
1: not as exciting, is
0: it? Yeah, I think <coughs> I think that's what it comes down to. I was thinking about this um, after all the reports came through, and I was thinking, ah, I wonder why the BBC and ITV and Sky didn't do as much publication of media about uh, the three counties traverse. Because they did on the Brecken rescue. I think it comes down to, unfortunately, you know, people want to hear about heroic stories, and um, they want to hear about a graft, and you know, they want to see an outcome. Now, the outcome of the three counties was divers got A and B, and it was impressive, really impressive. And you know, it's blown quite a lot of the cave caving, caving community worldwide that they've done it. But to 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 say that, you know, 300 people did the longest stretch carry in British Cave Rescue history, if maybe, well, probably not the world, but, you know, it's certainly a massive long 53-hour rescue, you know. It's, it's got more of a kind of uh, compelling story to it, you know. We got this chap out, and, yeah, it... it Unfortunately, it does sell a bit better um, even though that um the the three county system was still a, a, a massive achievement, especially in Yorkshire. You know the diving is hardcore there's there's no ways to put it about it um well yeah. it's the it, it's it's what's obtainable Jack, So you just
1: summed it up perfectly there that you know, obviously you have got the kind of life or death stuff and the rescue, and, and and people lap that out. They love that kind of heroic stuff. But you know, people can walk into OFD can't they? You know, you can you can you can have a you know it's a showcase, isn't it? OFD from what I remember.
0: There is a showcase. Yeah. Further yeah. down the hill, yeah.
1: Yeah, so people can walk in. They can kind of see it. But the sorts of kind of people. Diving in, in caves—it's not obtainable to people. So, if you get a story out saying that you know the longest dive and things like that. It's like, oh yeah, that's impressive. It kind of it washes it washes over people because it's not obtainable for most people. Yeah. Whereas when somebody climbs Everest, people will always think, yeah. "Well, I've climbed a hill. I could probably do that." And you know, there's there's that kind of connection
0: with it. Yeah, as and well. I think you know a lot of people, you know, probably could, could climb Everest. Um, well, they couldn't. <laughs> well, <listening> <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true probably a lot a lot of people have the willpower and the want to and the, probably the fitness to climb Everest if they wanted to but you, you ask people if they want to go caving They're, oh no don't want to go caving I've got a roof above my head I'm going to be claustrophobic <laughs> and uh, the one thing I've always learned about taking people caving is usually it's a bunch of bullshit you know people aren't claustrophobic i get them in the cave they're just screaming and shouting for more tight stuff you know get me in the tightest squeeze you can find in this cave because i want to push it i'm like okay yeah i'll go and take you to the lung squeezer and in, in long change you know it <laughs> yeah, has a tight one you know and, they do it and they're like, that that was cool you know and they're just hooked you know they're hooked and they'll come again um and i don't know what it is but people really like pushing the squeezers mm once they know that they're not claustrophobic yeah once you've seen somebody else go through you think oh i'm gonna have a go yeah and there's a little i guess there's a little sometimes there's a lot of peer pressure especially on like (laughs) stag dudes and things like that you know it's uh yeah there's a lot of peer pressure and sometimes you've got to be that mediocre guy and be like if you don't want to do it don't feel like you need to push it because in the back of your head you're thinking if they get stuck in there, you've got to deal with it, and you're like, I oh, don't know if I really want that pressure. Um, because there's quite a few squeezes around the place that you're kind of just like, hmm, do I really want to be kind of like pulling someone out of there for a kind of like a prolonged period of time, um, or talking them through it? Which you, you, you never really mind talking them through it, but they're not going to come back and go caving's awesome, they're going to go back in a way going caving's terrible, yeah, and don't want that. No one wants to go away from something and think, oh, that was terrible, why should I do that again? Um, so I think that, you know, sometimes you, you kind of, as a leader, it's it's really hard to kind of, like, make that right decision. You've, it just comes with, I guess, experience. Pardon me. And uh, you just have to play it by ear a little and go with what your gut instinct's telling you. Because uh, sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. Um, but yeah, yeah, you just have to go with it, I think.
1: See, you've made it through. Well done. It's just a quick note to say, please give me a, a follow at mascarandimedia.com. And also I've got a new book out as well. So Secret Dales was published uh, a couple of weeks ago and it is also available in uh, in my shop second half of my chat with jack we look at uh, his work with people with special needs his passion for caving a little bit about his solo caving exploits conservation and also how you can get in touch with him Uh, see you at the end you must get quite a lot of i mean i've spoken to you a number of times about the things that you've done you know freelance you obviously do a lot of kind Mm. of caving and taking groups out but you've done a lot with kind of people with special needs and and things like that. you must get a lot of satisfaction from what you do
0: yeah i mean um i work um, I used to work full full time uh, when I moved up here. I, I started an apprenticeship with uh, uh, the Ben trust and uh, they 're an amazing organization uh, and they they do a lot of work specifically with people with special uh, educational needs um, uh, physical, mental, and emotional and they do kind of climbing and caving and kayaking. And it's awesome. It's getting people out. And, you know, when I'm working there, it's not about how hard can they push it or or or, or anything like that. It's about them just giving it a go. Because a lot of the time, people don't have the opportunity to try. Um, you know, and they come away. And, you know, they might be in a wheelchair or they might, you know, not have the best uh, walking ability, you know. So giving them a chance to go climbing is quite a big thing for them because they could go to a climbing wall and they get turned away. And now, unfortunately, that might be the fact that the climbing wall isn't catered to it or the climbing wall doesn't have the experienced staff to deal with it. Um, and Bender is kind of like very fortunate to be able to tailor itself specifically to that market and uh, they make it a fantastic centre. They've got amazing staff who work there full time, and uh, they, they give our experiences to people who really wouldn't have that chance to to really give it a go without without them. And uh, every time I've been there, you know, at the top of the climb, all I see is smiles. It's great seeing the smiles of people like doing their first climb or going in, They're like, oh, look at that! It's a stalactite. They, they you know, they know what. A, well. They might have not seen a stalactite before, but they've heard the name before. Mm. And it's like putting the two together, it like blows their brain away. And, you know, and they're like, we're underground. You know, never thought they'd be underground, you know? So it's amazing to see their kind of like eyes glow massively. And it's like the whole world's opened up so that they're like, wow, I really see the world now. And, it, you know, it's really nice to see, you know, that through everything like some people have been through that they can still kind of be amazed and see things that they might have never had the privilege of being able to see it's really nice you um, your face lit up when you were when you were talking about that it kind of, you can see that
1: that kind of passion to you know show people what you know the outdoors is like access to the outdoors and your passion of climbing and, and caving you can tell that it's
0: it's not just a job. No, um, it's never been a job. I just really, you know, when I get emails from companies asking me to take them caving, I just reply. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Is the kit books? And uh, how many clients am I going with? That's all I ask, because I'm just interested about taking people caving and giving them a good time. You know, I might, you know, when it's canyoning and climbing, I really enjoy taking people canyoning as well. But uh, it's it's always the same. It's just about giving people a good time and giving them as much banter and if you, if you will uh, and get yeah just making sure they're happy and they have a good day and they feel safe because I think you know a lot of times certainly when I was younger I knew when I was safe or not when I was standing at the top of a abseil and uh, it, you know and I think you know a lot of that comes from the instructor that you're with mm. do they have that personality to kind of you know have a bit of a joke with you and make you smile and you know tell you that you're safe and come on, you can push it, it's a good, you know it's safe to push it so um, yeah I've kind of, I've always been keen just to give people a really good time in a really safe environment and that's yeah that's probably like my philosophy it's mm. just trying to give people a really good time in such a kind of like... I don't want to use the word mellow, because I think that kind of destroys the environment, but just trying to make make them feel not... I don't know. I want to just make them feel as safe as possible and make them smile as much as possible, because, uh, you know, everybody deserves like to have a taste of adventure mm. and sometimes I think it can get a little bit missed in in the, in the professional sense we, we give people adventure and we give them smiles but do we do we give them a taste of adventure or do we give them a little bit of a kind of like our view of adventure yeah. like a professional view of adventure there's massive talk That I have with uh, with one of my mates Jamie and Kendall when we when we when we work in the Esk in high water, you know where it's really pumping it, and um, we talk about having a throw line when we go in, and we've talked about this in length, and uh, we've got to the point where if we get there, we're feeling that we need to get the the throw line. Are we in a position to to lead and coach? are we playing in white water? Because, you know, the water's quite strong and in the S there isn't really much room for error. You know, you jump in, you kind of, you generally swim down, downstream and if you can't get your feet up and, uh, you, you get washed away. So, then, then there's a need for kind of like a throw line person. Um, but, you just kind of like wonder if if you're throwing a throw line to pull somebody in, does that mean that the the, the water current is uh maybe too fast for your clients? And uh, you know, we we, we I have in depth conversations with my mate about this and we just uh we came to the conclusion that if we need a throw line in the S maybe we're just slightly out of arena. Yeah, we shouldn't be there. <laughs> or oh, we shouldn't be there, you yeah. know um so yeah it's quite an interesting kind of we always have these chats i have lots of chats with people um i do enjoy it <laughs>
1: I, swear, I, I don't remember much banter when you abselled next to me and my chest harness came apart and bu- put the witches to be fair which that pitch was, quite, was that? quite interesting i think it was about the second or third and my chest harness was basically over my head he came down and you just went have you done that and that was quite amusing that was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? It was quite a long time. It feels a long time ago. Yeah, since it's actually, especially. It's since a worrying amount of time ago. Yeah, but it has been a while. Mm. It has been a while. Where do you see you, you yourself going with uh, <clears throat> with kind of? And I know you're freelancing now, and yeah. you, you're pretty much based up here now. You're in the CRO, yeah. Red Rose. You're not. You're never allowed to leave once you're here. <laughs> so do no, you see yourself kind of. Th- this is your base now, and you're gonna have a bit of a burgeoning. Adventure Empire or are you gonna go off and do something like you know, walk here to Everest? or
0: You know what they say about the farm, you you gotta keep the animals inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's what somebody told me, um I can't remember where, I think it was on the uh, the Welsh rescue. Um, gotta keep the animals inside the club <laughs> and I thought that was a great quote. Um So uh Um Where where do I see myself going? Well, you know, I'm still chasing up um, the infamous CIC qualification, the cave instructor certificate, which is kind of seen as the highest qualification in caving. Um, and I'm really keen to kind of finish it off quite soon, if if I can. And um, uh, and from there, well, who knows? I'm just going to cave more. I just really enjoy caving. Yeah. the idea of just going caving is just awesome. You know when i'm when i'm caving i don't, I don't care about many things you know uh, i go caving and you know sometimes it's by myself and sometimes it's with people but as soon as i get underground nothing really matters not kind of like the rent that you do with your house or the electricity bill or you know whatever whatever like kind of burdens on your mind everything seems to go when you're uh when you're underground and uh and that's what I really like, you know, nothing matters, you're just caving, and you're down there for however long you want to be, you can come up within five minutes, or you can come up in Mm. 50 hours, 100 hours, whatever, you know, and uh, that's what I like, is you can just go for however long you want, nothing really matters, and you can, you know, you can go down to Lancaster Hole, and just sit at full pot if you wanted to, for two hours, and just kind of like take in kind of like the waterfall or mm. the big chamber and just kind of desensitise yourself and de-stress from life and then you can come back up and just kind of go, oh, that's amazing, you know.
1: There must be something keeping you up at night, though. Everybody's got something that keeps them up at night.
0: There's always There's things keeping worry. me up at night. <laughs> 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 um, what keeps me up at night... Um, The fact that I just want to go caving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Usually it's politics and bullshit. (laughs) But um, I try and let that slide, to be honest. Um, But to be honest with you, you know, I just think about caving. If you you look at my YouTube history, it's generally just caving. Uh, I don't do much else, you know. I sit at home and I look at caving videos uh, and I just think about going caving and that generally spurs a kind of like a a solo trip or something I watch a bit of TV and I think oh I'm caving what should I do tomorrow and I just think about a plan of what I'm going to do tomorrow while I'm watching a bit of TV <laughs> you know, so really it just it's like eat, sleep, cave, repeat you know you get, I'm sure that's on a t-shirt I haven't got it but um, yeah eat, sleep, cave, repeat that's generally my life <laughs> So what politics is keeping you up then? Oh just to be honest with you there's not a lot of politics at the moment but sometimes there is a lot of politics you know Um, trying to do your CIC has quite a bit of politics oh that sort of politics yeah trying to like complete your CIC there's a fair amount of politics that you need to kind of get through and it's a bit of a pain but it's just something of like a burden that you need to need to do and you know sometimes you think about crazy new ideas about what you can do in caving and how to make your life simpler at work and all sorts of things Um, but yeah what keeps me up at night that's a
1: <laughs> That's a good one. gets you thinking Yeah. A second. I was looking on the um, UK caving forum. Yeah. Before and I noticed that uh, Giant's Hall in in Derbyshire had been vandalised quite recently, and there was, there was talk. Some cavers were on there talking about kind of, well, let's just get it gated like it used to be. When I say vandalised, I mean kind of graffitied and things like that.
0: Does that
1: kind of worry you at all with kind of big groups? I mean, obviously not your groups because you're with them and, you know, responsible caving and things like that. Does that kind of worry you that these special places are trashed? Or is this something that kids have always have done, you know?
0: Well, so kind of like this year, um, I think I've seen two... I've been in two caves that have been vandalised long chance was vandalised and all all the graffiti was taken away and I put a post up in the the kind of there's a very small group of kind of like the Yorkshire uh, cave leaders page Uh, there must be only about 40 of us in there Um, and I said Please hope that this is none of us guys, because this is this is going to go down. If it goes down on us, it's going to be really bad. I got loads of responses saying, "Nah, definitely wasn't us." So I was like, "Whew, that's good." Then I thought, "Well, it, it just wouldn't have been the you know the the kind of the the non-commercial scene because I was like, these guys are just, just not interested in, in you know going to Alan Potts." so then I was thinking. Is it a really big kind of like commercial enterprise who doesn't do a lot of caving that might have come in and done it? And then the last thing I thought about was maybe it's just a bunch of scallies, vandals that came in. And I think they did it in um, Yordas as well recently. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can
1: understand it in Yordas, but well, you, obviously you can't. But it's like two minutes from the road. But the churns is still—it's a bit of a wander in. Yeah. From the track, in it. I mean, you've got to be kind of pretty much intent on that's what you're going to go and do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't, whatever I guess motivates them to go and graffiti a cave is beyond our comprehension, because, you know, we're all about protecting uh, and kind of keeping things as kind of like pristine and, and clean as possible, uh, and I'm sure with your work at the Millennium Trust that, you know, you do a lot of conservation work.
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of cave, kill- a lot of cave clearance over the last few years, Yeah kind of removing graffiti and, you know, bits of farm machinery and, and stuff like that and stabilising mm. entrances. Yeah, yeah, we're the same, interesting, conserving.
0: Yeah, I remember doing, um, I did a, I did a uh, conservation day with the CNCC and, um, you know, as you go out of Ingleton, there's a, a quarry on your left-hand side, a massive quarry. And just at the right, there's a, you go across the field and there's a cave in there. It used to be an old showcase. Yeah, I Skirwith Say again? Scarewith. Scarewith, that's yeah. it, yeah. I always forget the name, um, but I did a, I I did a. I remember doing a day in there with the CNCC clearing out all of the old wood and the timber from the old show cave, yeah. and uh, the amount of stuff we got out of there was like, where did this all come from? <laughs> you know, because you know most people look there and you know, they just don't even realise there's a cave there. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know how long it is, but this what I explored after we all cleared it out. Must have been at least two hundred meters of cave. Um, and then you look at caves like um, White Scar and um, and Engleburg Show Cave, and you go, "Wow, their idea of a showcave is a very different <laughs> idea of what our show caves are now." Um, you know, because really, what it really was just like a couple of planks of wood, kind of like on the floor, and people used to walk along the planks of wood to get through the showcave. <laughs> it was a very different ideology of uh, what what we consider a show cave now
1: was that a sense of adventure jack it kind of goes back to what mm. this conversation's about doesn't it, it? That, yeah the people are prepared to yeah. you know grab a candle and walk along a couple of wooden boards and yeah and see what's doing there was one at um not far up from uh catnock cave uh, in thorns i think it's called holmes could be holmes hill cave which is mm. another one which the water comes up to your neck that was a show cave you know and you kind of think <laughs> yeah it is different from your ingleborough caves and
0: yeah, Well, Inglebrook Cave, you know, in that first section as you go through, that used to be completely Yeah, it was on the wasn't it? Yeah, and then it was only when they built, uh, they diverted the waters when, you know, and you can clearly see it as you walk yeah. through that you've got that layer. Um, it's, it's only about, I don't know, 30 centimetres high where people used to walk through with a little candle yeah. in front of their head. It's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't think about going caving, you know, with a candle. Uh, it just seems... You know, crazy when we got all this technology. You know, LED lights. You know, the stuff that people are coming out with like Rudnora and Scurry and Petzl uh, and Fenix. You know, they're all it's all LED, and they're pushing it. You know, they're really pushing it. Like most lights now are easily over a thousand lumens. Um, you'd be kind of like. Not a little bit crazy to get less than a thousand lumens, but it's just the technology's increased so much. It's still pretty
1: pure sport, though, isn't it? You think about you know at the end of the day, wellies, suit, hat, like off you go. Yeah. And you think about some of the other sports. And so you, you, what does the average person carry if they climb up Ingleborough these days? Yeah. You know, probably the best pair of boots they can get, and waterproofs and rucksack yeah. and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, caving is yeah pretty pure, like you say. You know. You can't beat a pair of Dunlop wellies, <laughs> and you know it sounds crazy to say that, but I've been caved, I've only ever caved in Dunlop wellies, unless I was in America, and America's got slightly different caves. A lot of their caves are a lot drier than ours. They're quite dusty, and uh, I tried caving in wellies over there, and I just my ankles and my soles, my throat just ached for days. So I thought, right, once I was out there, I've got a pair of shoes because like everybody was telling me that you know you know it hurts in wellies Um, so I got a pair of shoes and I was like wow really does make a big difference Um, but then I came back here and I I went back to uh, uh, wellies and I think for the British climate wellies are just perfect and again with the oversuit you know um, the oversuit are great because our caves are pretty rough uh, in comparison to a lot of caves around the world and uh we were fleecy because it's freezing down there a lot of the time. Um, the other week. Um I think it was last, was it? Yeah, last week we went down Swinster and the the weather was kind of like uh it was like stopped raining and it was heavy rain the day before and uh I we got to uh we got to the lane in, in Kingsdale and I looked down at the at the beck and it was still a little bit flowing. And I thought, It's there, so it probably won't be in the cave <laughs> Uh we got into we got to the entry of the cave and I looked down and went, Ah oh, yeah, it'll be sound, it'd be sound and uh we went down the first pitch and went, yeah, it's a little bit a little bit more smashy than what I remember it last time I came down and then we got to split pitch and it was like a water cannon. It was like, Whoa, <laughs> So uh, my mate Saul went down first and <laughs> another one of my mates, Christian, he I looked over and went, right now he's being water cannoned in the face <laughs> and all my mate could see was in the face and <laughs> you do wonder kind of like, would a lot of people want to do that? <laughs> There's a certain type of p- person that's willing to to have kind of like, you know, canyoning slightly different because you haven't got a roof on your head. Uh, and there's not much difference between get cave and canyon. It's the fact that you've got a roof on top of your head. But it's the fact that you've got a roof on top of your head <laughs> that everybody goes, oh, no. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's quite interesting sometimes. It has a lot more kind of like committing feel to it just because it's got a roof on its head. That's why, especially when you've got a duck underwater and things like that, I think once you've done that the first
1: time, and once you get that kind of water overhead moment... You're okay, aren't you?
0: Pretty much, You're yeah.
1: Okay, but I think once you've done that for the first time, whether you've done it really young and it doesn't bother you again. But
0: yeah, I remember when um, my first trip down to sump one in Swirledons, uh I can't remember how old I was. I think I was like, must have been like forty. Uh, I was still quite young, and I remember getting there and I gave it a go three times. Just couldn't do it. It's literally no longer than one meter. It is pretty small but I could not get my head around like going through it. I was like, I've come a long way. If anything would happen, like, you know, it's only that far. was only me, but I physically couldn't get my head. <laughs> my body was like, go for it, go for it. And then my head was like, no, don't you dare go for it. <laughs> uh, so I came back, like, um, I got redemption. The school let me come back on, uh, on another trip. And, uh, we went all the way down and I did it first time no no worries no no kind of complaining and I was like yeah I've got through I've got through and then sometimes it is a bit like that with caving sometimes you go to a place and you're just like, I'm not fucking going in that <laughs> it's just fucking revolting um, and why would I do that and then you come back another time and you go ah it's not too bad actually <laughs> And then you're stupid enough to keep redoing it and redoing <laughs> it. <laughs> and then you're, you're kind of like your perception your comfort zone increases. Um a very long progress um, to, to the point where you, you, you're you happy just to kind of go and do things by yourself, uh, if that's what you want to do. Um, now, solar caving is vastly controversial, um, but then... Everybody likes a bit of controversiality, I guess, <laughs> don't they? You know, I'm, I'm kind of happy with going solo cave because I, I've got the, I feel I've got the skill and the knowledge to, to go and do it. And I feel quite lucky to be able to have people who've taught me how to cave in, in such a way that I know how to make sensible risks, yes. uh, take sensible risks and make the certain judgments that I do when I'm down there by myself. That, you know, basically, if I got it wrong, would result in me probably dying in hypothermia you know so I feel quite lucky to cave with such uh, a vast amount of people that I get quite a lot of um, skill I think is the right word skill and continuity between between people um, in in multiple aspects uh, which is really nice I feel quite privileged to to cave with such humongous rare people on kind of like a yearly basis it's great to be with so many people underground uh it, yeah it's just great chatting to people and just having shenanigans the best trip i've ever done has to be uh does it have to be well i guess it caving has to be an underground trip doesn't it um caving takes me in much lots of different ways uh, and sometimes i do trips above ground as well um that are caving based but just above ground um but as we're just talking underground for this sake, uh, I honestly think it's Lost Johns. Lost Johns is such a nice cave. Um, it's got 200 metres of kind of like rope work. There's not many caves in the Dales that has, well, probably is kind of like quite a few caves that have about 200 metres of rope work in them. But of the complexity and like the length of, what there is there you know is you know it's really good in there it's quality caving uh and it's all you know it's all on pea bolts you can just go there and get it done and it's great and there's three routes you can choose there's monastery there's dome and there's centipede and you can you can do it in a day or you can do it in half a day you know depending on what you choose and where you want to go when you get to the bottom um but I really like Lost John's because you get lots of options and you can just pretty much choose when you get there. <laughs> on, on the flip side is the one that you would never do, never do again, <laughs> never do again. Yeah. Uh, so when I was um, uh, when I was uh, when I was a kind of starting out caving in, in the Red Rose, uh, I got invited, and uh, it was Provenance to Down. And uh, they said it was a black... I think it was a black book tree. I'm sure they said it was a black book tree. They said to me, right, the first half of the cave is really great. Second half of the cave, it's going to be fucking hard. And uh, I was... Oh, actually, they sold it to you
1: now, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they sold it to me.
0: Yeah, but I didn't realise quite how hard it was going to be. Because, uh, you know, I was just I was prepared for a kind of, like, grade four nice cave. And uh, I went down. Uh, the first half of the cave was lovely. And then you get to kind of, like, this passageway. And it's just straight, uh, and it is straight for literally half a mile, six hundred metres. Bam! And uh, there's three levels. There's like the narrows, and you basically go down the streamway, and it's really narrow, <laughs> uh, hence the name. And uh, you know, if it you die, pretty much. Um, or there's the the I'm sure it's a 60 foot traverse, and then there's the ninety foot traverse, and there's no ropes up there. You're just doing it free climb. And uh, I did, I did the 60, but um, when I when I was going across it, I nearly died twice. <laughs> so uh, I mean, it was all within. I don't know what it was. I, I um, it was. Uh, I might, maybe I kind of uh, just losing losing the will to live in there or something. <laughs> and um, I was just taking my eye off the ball. But basically, you come to this section, you have to slide down, kind of like it must be about five ten meters vertically with no rope and uh, there's nothing for your feet really you're just basically holding yourself in with the the pressure of your body and then you loosen it and you slide down and um i slid down until the kind of like the pass away slopes back in again and then there's just a sheer drop below you that goes on for another 30 metres to hit the floor and um my feet were kind of like touching the side of the walls <laughs> on both sides but none none of them were gripping <laughs> my weddies were just like sliding around and I was like oh shit I'm going to fucking go for it here and um, this guy comes around with above slice down braces out and he's like I've got you literally as he said I've got you I kind of slid down just, just like a millimetre and my feet gripped and I was like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> you know but him to slide down all I had to do was just go down a millimetre and <laughs> I was all good and uh, I started moving a, kind of like along along the passage to the right and my foot gets caught in this kind of like little V slot <laughs> and uh, I couldn't pull it out. <laughs> so I thought, right, I'll just keep it going. I don't know what, what, why I kept on going, but at one point I think my head was like kind of like my foot was higher than my head. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not attached to anything. I'm just trying <laughs> to like, get my foot out and I'm just yanking the damn thing. And uh, eventually it does pull out and uh, I managed to still kind of like brace myself in the wall. And then I slide back down to the floor where, where kind of everybody else is. And I was like, I'm never doing that I fucking again. Um, we need to pee This It's fucking crazy. Now I'm sure I'm going to get lots of flack in in yeah. your comments from Cavis saying, oh, it doesn't need bolting," But it's, you know, it's quite serious. And then people were telling me stories about the 90 foot traverse. There's a place up there called Greg's Horror. And uh, I really can't be bothered to do that. <laughs> Basically, you have to kind of like traverse with your tiptoes on one wall and your shoulders on the other. Yeah. And there's no rope or anything. You're just kind of like going across yeah, it. General, yeah. And uh, that kind of just sh- shivers up my <laughs> spine. I was like, I really don't fucking want to do that. That's just diabolical. Why would you want to do that, you know? That is like contemplating death, really. Uh, so, yeah. You must be having serious thoughts about caving <laughs> if you want to do that. Well, you just basically explained that caving's really dangerous, and you almost died. So why do you do it? <laughs> why do I do yeah. it? Um, because it's about that sense of adventure. You know what's around the corner. You never really know. You know when I was when I was out caving in uh, America, I went caving with uh, a guy called Derek Bristol, and um, uh, he's got his own YouTube channel. You can uh, he's got hundreds of videos and i think he's an amazing um kind of youtuber and he explains his uh videos really well uh and um i went caving with them in south dakota and we went into a uh, wing cave which is a really lovely national park above ground but equally it's got some amazing format formations below ground it doesn't have kind of like a lot of stalactites and stalagmites but it's got this thing called Boxworks, I think they call it. And uh, it's basically just crushed hatchings of calcite. It's very weird. And uh, I'm sure it's calcite. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's really crazy, kind of. But you never really know what's around the corner. And uh, we were surveying passages that had never been surveyed before. And uh, we, we went to this one place on the second day. And we found this chamber. And... Um, it was only roughly about a metre high off the ground, you know, off the cave of the floor. And um, it was about, I don't know, 100, 100 square metres wide. And then in the middle there was a chute that went up to another level of passageways. And uh, I found a tag up there and I remembered the tag and we could never find out where that tag was in... in it, it, on the survey we pulled it up on Derek's computer and we couldn't find what that tag was so I don't know if Derek's been back and found out what that tag really was maybe I just had a dyslexic moment <laughs> and read it completely wrong um which is probably highly possible with my brain um but um we named this chamber uh, the John Moore's the John Moore's room uh but it had a secondary name of uh the International Pancake Room uh, and to answer your question uh Is you never know what lies around the corner you know we found this chamber and uh, we didn't know it was there and that's what I really love about caving is that you know you can go into East Gill and there's a survey you kind of know what's around the corner but you never really do till you get there and you see it for yourself and that's what I really love about caving is that you know you can just go there and you can see it and uh, you don't you don't always have to be super hardcore to get there some places you do, but some places you can just, yeah, go and explore and have a good time, and then you get a little story to tell <laughs> and, uh, yeah it's just, yeah, it's really cool to kind of be able to have that privilege to go somewhere that not many people have been able to go to um, and, yeah be somewhere pretty remote as well is, uh, is you know, uh, what I really like is, you know, when you go kind of like climbing and mountaineering and you do all these big peaks. Usually well not always. A lot of stuff in the uh Canada that's being pushed now is a lot of it's unclimbed. Um but probably somebody's been to the top of that mountain before you. Um but in caving there's probably never really that many people have been down there before. You know, you go to a crag in the lake, District, thousands of people, maybe millions of people have climbed on that one crag. You go on at and um, you know, you're probably looking at a thousand, two thousand people who have probably ever been in there, you know, because it is, you know, it's quite, it's quite hard to get in, uh, unless you don't have the proper skills to get in there. Um, there's not that many. Well, maybe two thousand is quite rare. Maybe ten thousand people have ever been in easier maximum, I would have thought, over the kind of years and years that it's been around. But it, it comes down to what's accessible to people. And like the kit that they have to offer, I think is, yeah.
1: Thank you, Jack. It's been uh, i I've enjoyed it. I've spoken to you many times, but I actually <laughs> sat down and spent an hour with you and actually discovered what makes you tick. If people want to follow you or find out what you're up to, what's the best way of getting
0: in um, contact with you? Uh, Instagram is, is kind of my easiest. You can just uh, jack.overhill and uh, you can follow me there. I've got loads of stuff going on. Most, most weeks I've got something uh, posted up. Um, uh, and now it's kind of a quiet season there's lots of caving stuff going on I got quite a lot of caving pickies from from today, from my little trip so uh, you'll probably see some helictites and some other cool formations that I kind of took whilst I was down there Awesome, thank you No worries
1: well, thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Masquerade Media Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. A little bit different from the usual ones, which you just get to listen to me waffle on for about 20 minutes about what's going on in the world. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, subscribe, do everything that the influencers say that uh, you should do. And uh, and yeah, I hope to bring you another podcast soon. Thanks for listening.